This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Friday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. Thank you so much for joining us here on a Friday. Whatever you're doing, listening to some hockey, and I do appreciate all the feedback that we get. Let's recap the games from last night, some of them fairly significant. Let's start with the biggest game of the night, and that is, of course, the Leafs 6-4 win over the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers could be in some serious trouble here. Now Talbot's going to be out for a significant period of time, so their number one goaltender is out. uh, And you just don't know now, with their goaltending in flux, uh, the team wasn't playing well in front of Talbot anyway. You know, where do we go? I'm already starting to see articles of who could replace Todd McClellan as head coach, and it sounds like that he may be in some serious jeopardy here. For a team that was looked upon as the favorite to come out of the West, or at least one of the teams in the conversation, they're one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League. But last night's game was tremendous. Toronto jumped out to a 2-0 lead. Matthews get his 13th, and Dominic Moore's been a nice, solid player for the Leafs. He's got four goals. That fourth line was really clicking last night for the Leafs. Nylander's been on that line now with Martin. Martin scored a goal to make it 3-1 after Latestu got the Oilers back into the game, and it just looked like it was going to be a romp going into the second period with the score 3-1. But give Edmonton credit. They fight back. Cassian gets his second, and he's been good for them. He's been a nice addition for Edmonton. And then Connor McDavid answers the Matthews goal for his 11th. So you had everything you wanted in this game. You had a lot of goals. McDavid and Matthews both playing very well. And the building was up for grabs. The other observation in this game, before we continue with the recap, the number of Leaf fans in the building was amazing. Now, this isn't Carolina. This isn't Florida. This isn't a team that struggles to draw. Edmonton sells out every game, but the Leafs are only there once. I'm sure there's a lot of history in Edmonton where a lot of the older fans maybe grew up Leaf fans before the Oilers had gotten there uh, after the merger in 1980, or maybe the Maple Leafs just travel well, but you saw whenever the Leafs scored, whenever something significant happened for Toronto, that building looked like it was half filled with Leaf fans. And it's just amazing to me because if Edmonton's playing Carolina, that place is packed with Oiler fans, but the Leafs travel well. And because they rarely get a chance only once a year to go out to Western Canada, those fans really support them. And that was just an observation there. So Nylander scores to stabilize things again. Russell, who had a really good game, scores to start the third period. And then it would be uh, Marlowe that scores. And the game's tied now at four. And you're just praying for overtime because you just love to see that skill on a three-on-three. And then the turning point of the game, especially for Russell, who is playing so well and, as I mentioned, scored the first goal of the third period. I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but there's a play to the left of the Edmonton goal. And Russell gets into it with with uh, Kadri. And you could tell that Russell was having some trouble with his positioning, trying to fend Kadri off. And because it was just that one-on-one situation at the left circle to the goaltender, once Russell was able to get squared to the puck, he didn't want to put it out into harm's way towards the blue line where there could be players there to take a shot at goal. So what he was trying to do is just try to fire it to the end boards, try to get it behind the net, and then get everybody back behind his goaltender so it would at least be out of harm's way, and then you get under a minute to go, try to clear and just get to overtime. And I guess just because of the situation that he was in, as 
directing it towards the end boards. He put it on net, and it ends up beating the goaltender, and it just an own goal with a minute and five seconds to go. Brousois had no chance. He probably wasn't expecting to be a shot because Russell looked like he had Kadri defended. So he's probably, Brousois is probably looking and saying, all right, Kadri doesn't have a shot. I'm not expecting anything to come from this scrum. And now Russell puts just a, a beamer on him, and he just was slow to react, trying to make a save on an own goal. And for Russell, that was having such a great game, that ends up being um, just a killer the killer goal in that situation, and it just ends up being just a devastating goal. It ends up getting credited to Marlowe because Kadri never touched it. So the goal comes at 18.55, gets credited to Marlowe, and then Kadri ends up getting the empty netter to make it 6-4. So you see Kadri's look on his face. I think he thought he was going to get credit for the goal, and he just smiled like he just ate the canary. And just an ugly way for really a fun game to end and just a disturbing way for the Edmonton Oilers to lose another game when it looks like they got a point in their pocket and have just as good a chance as anybody to get the extra point in overtime of the shootout to come away with nothing in that kind of fun game. So what everybody thought when they looked at the uh, standings and when they looked at when I looked at the schedule at the beginning of the season and saw this this game November 30th in Edmonton Leafs and the Oilers maybe a bit of a cup preview. Well, maybe the Leafs will be there, but I don't know if the Edmonton Oilers are going to be there. Just a devastating loss and then just a, a killer now that Talbot, who always gave them the best chance to win, uh, is now going to be on the shelf for a while. So that's a devastating loss for the Edmonton Oilers and a devastating loss for Talbot. And we'll see if Todd McClellan ends up becoming collateral damage there in uh, Edmonton. Uh, Montreal's now quietly won four straight games. And and we talked about it yesterday that it seems like the people around Montreal are just looking and saying, Two things. Number one, we got to get um, Drew and going, and he couldn't play last night because of a lower body injury sustained the night before against Ottawa. And we're just going to ride Price. You know, if you follow the Canadians over the last few years, the the theme has been as we go is as Price goes. And remember a couple of years ago when Price was out, the Canadians had a chance to maybe make some trades to rebuild. And Mark Bergevin's feeling was was Price was hurt. That's why we didn't make the playoffs. We got Price. We're as good as any team. Price comes back. They make the playoffs last year. They end up losing to the Devil, the Rangers in six games. But you know they still made the playoffs. And and then the feeling was well, a healthy Price he can carry us. He's the best goalie in the league. Well, he wasn't playing well, and then he got hurt, and it looked like Montreal was done. So when Price came back, it was all right. Carry here's your opportunity. Carry us until we can kind of figure something out. And he's been back in the lineup. They've won four consecutive games now, very much back in the playoff hunt. If the season ended today, uh, they would be in the thick of things in their um, race for the playoffs. They're already number three now. That Atlantic division kind of leaves it open for there to be a chance to make the playoffs. As we mentioned, Metropolitan Division, average team's not going to make it. An average team could make it in the Atlantic. So Montreal with four consecutive wins, a huge win for Montreal over Detroit. Uh, the Kings, they pound the, the Washington Capitals by the final score of 5-2. to Kuznetsov uh, had given Washington the early lead. Kuznetsov ended up finishing with two goals on the night. He now has eight. But just a, the new addition, Jokinen ends up getting a goal. Gabrick had two goals. Defoley finishes it off with his 11th, and that's a good win for the Los Angeles Kings. And, you know, we had um, John Walton on earlier in the week. 
Uh, the Capitals are just one of those teams just trying to figure out what exactly they are. They had a three-game winning streak, but they get blown out at home by the Kings. Uh, Vancouver, again, great story out of the Canucks. The kids contributing, and that's no exception last night, as Besser ended up having a big goal, uh, then ended up uh, tying the score after Smith had given uh, Nashville a uh, one to nothing lead. Forsberg comes back to make it 2-1, but then it's Erickson. Benito follows to tie the game up. But then congratulations to Daniel Sedin. He gets his sixth goal and also his 1,000th National Hockey League point. Besser comes back with his second, and then Erickson gets his second to finish it off. So the kids are all right, but the veterans contributing as well to the Canucks win. Keep an eye on Vegas a little bit because we thought they'd come back down to earth. Now a couple of losses in a row got shut out at home, lose in Minnesota by the final score of 4-2. to two. So let's just keep an eye. I don't think Vegas is going to win that division, but just keep an eye on this team as we get deeper into the season, whether they can keep it going. Uh, Marsha Show gets a big goal for them, but it ended up being Eric Stahl that was the big star. He gets an empty netter for his 10th after he had scored what proved to be the game-winning goal earlier in the period. So Eric Stahl doing a good job for Minnesota. Dallas wins an overtime over Chicago. Good win for the Dallas Stars. And that's a good one. Just keep it going. Uh, Jan Mark not only gets the first goal of the game, he gets the all-important last goal of the game, his sixth of the season, 51 seconds into overtime. Kane picked up his 10th. Anisimov stays hot with his 12th. Fosca scores now four goals in his last two games for the Dallas Stars. That's a nice win for the Stars. Uh, Flames trying to keep pace with a 3 nothing blanking of the Arizona Coyotes. The Coyotes had been playing better. Uh, Jankowski gets two goals for the Flames, and Mike Smith has been a very nice story for the Flames. We we got a tweet from somebody saying about off-season tra- uh, transactions that have really meant something here in the early portion. Calgary is a team that is led by Smith, and Smith can steal games, and certainly 31 saves or 28 saves last night for the shutout, and we told you about Toronto's win over the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, taking a quick look at the schedule, the uh, Hurricanes, who haven't played since Tuesday either, when they lost in a shootout to the Columbus Blue Jackets. So we'll see the Rangers. No Mika Zibanejad. Likely Ryan McDonough will return tonight for the Rangers. Uh, Devils are in Colorado to take on the Avalanche. First game for Sandy Vatanen. We'll get into that in a little bit um, as Vatanen back in the lineup after the big trade. And the Senators struggling. Game two of their seven-game road trip. They'll be in Brooklyn to take on the Islanders. Uh, Penguins and the Sabres. That's almost a must-win for Pittsburgh as they're struggling with Murray being out of the lineup. Uh, nice test for the Ducks. They'll be in Columbus to take on the Blue Jackets. Panthers home for the Sharks as the Sharks are here on the East Coast and playing well. Kings the second of back-to-back against the Blues. That's a very interesting matchup. Two of the best teams in the National Hockey League. And back-to-back situation for the Golden Knights in Winnipeg against the Red Hot Jets. So that's a tough spot. That's why I say keep an eye on the Golden Knights. Losers of a couple in a row get shut out at home, and now they got to go to Winnipeg to avoid dropping another game and... Again, they've only lost two in a row, but then you start to lose three in a row, and then maybe the stranglehold of the division goes away. And just keep an eye on the Vegas Golden Knights. I think that's going to be very, very important. All right, before we get to your tweets, let's do the top five. Don LaGreca's Friday Top Five. All right, we're going to start with, of course, the bottom, and let's start with number five. Number five. I'm going to keep the Columbus Blue Jackets in the top five. Again, they played very well. Seven wins in their last ten. 
They have played tremendous uh, hockey both home and on the road. They've got four regulation losses both home and on the road. They've overcome the Calvert injury. They've overcome the Sedlak injury. Cam Atkinson was banged up a little bit early on, but he's starting to get hot. And Sergei Bobrovsky right now, if you were to ask me, is your Vesna Trophy winner? I've got the Columbus Blue Jackets sitting at number five. Number four. Let's drop the Tampa Bay Lightning down to four. They've lost a couple of games here, four losses in their last ten. Again, not that big of a deal, but they've struggled a little bit as of late, kind of coming back down to earth just a tad. Lost to Boston the other night, giving up the first three goals of the game. Still an excellent team, but it's hard to keep them in the top two. They've had a tough week, but they stay in the top five as they are at number four. Number three. Number three, I am going to go with the St. Louis Blues. Kind of a similar situation to Tampa. Kind of slowed down just a little bit. Uh, four losses in their last ten as well. So they've kind of cooled the Jets just a little bit. So I dropped them from number one last week now to number three. But it's the usual suspects, Tarasenko, uh, Schwartz. But, uh, um, but the big deal to me has been the Shen acquisition during the offseason has really gotten things going there, and Allen has played pretty well as per usual. So we're going to go with St. Louis at number three. Number two. Number two, got to keep the Winnipeg Jets in there. Everybody is clicking now, and it's not just about Line A and Shifley. We've seen Wheeler get some big goals lately. Uh, we've seen Lowry get some big goals lately. Uh, so many different guys are contributing to what the Winnipeg Jets are doing right now. They've got Tyler Meyer healthy, and that is a major, major thing that they have not had going for them over the last couple of years. Hullabuck looks like he's become the number one goaltender there. They did lose their last game, but they did earn a point, but they're 7-2-1 and one in their last 10. I've got Winnipeg as number two. Number one. Yeah! And number one, it's got to be the Toronto Maple Leafs. Leafs are 7-2-1 and one as well in their last 10. Uh, they're a plus-16 goal differential. Anderson has played well. And, again, they've got uh, all four lines clicking for them right now. The Toronto Maple Leafs are beginning to warm up here as one of the better teams. They've been excellent away from home at 9-4-1. I believe they're unbeaten in their last six away from Air Canada Centre. So I've got a brand-new number one this week, and it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. So it's interesting that the top two teams I have are both Canadian teams, which is nice to see those Canadian teams playing well. Montreal's now won four straight, so it's good to see that the Canadian teams are doing well. Ottawa's struggling, Edmonton's struggling, Calgary has been you know kind of average over the last little bit here, six three and one over the last ten. But good to see the Canadian teams. They haven't won a championship since nineteen ninety three, but nice to see the Canadian teams doing well, especially a market uh, like Winnipeg. All right, let's get to your tweets at Don Lagreca hashtag Game Misconduct. And let's start with uh, me getting ripped a little bit. A couple of people have been tweeting me about this, and I do apologize. Bad job out of me, but Joseph Reed reminds me, huge fan of the show. I'm a devil fan. I noticed you keep repeating a mistake about the players left from 2012. Zajac was also there. Zajac, Green, Henrique, until yesterday, of course, when Henrique was traded to the Ducks. So I've been reminded of that. I Zajac escapes me, maybe because he's been hurt all year pretty much, but no excuse. I should remember that Zajac was on that 2012 team, and of course I covered that conference final from the Rangers side of it. Uh, Forever T8 says, what's the worst goal you've seen? Even as a Leafs fan, I feel bad for Russell. Absolutely. I mean, there's been so many real bad goals. Of course, the Smith goal, if you remember, for Edmonton against Calgary, the own goal there went off the back of Grant Fuhr. 
that cost basically Edmonton a chance to win five consecutive Stanley Cups. That's the one that kind of jumps to mind for me. But I just felt bad because it was such a fun game, and to have it end the way that it did, that game just reeked of going to overtime and having a spectacular five-minute overtime and maybe a goal before overtime expired so we didn't have to go to the crappy shootout. But that was not the way I wanted to see that game. And not that I had a rooting interest. I just wanted to see that game going. And that game deserved to be won on a spectacular goal by either side, not by an own goal. Jr. says, uh, Gary Bettman is adamant on keeping Islanders local, yet has no backup plan to Belmont. Either he's confident and or naive to believe it's happening or completely understands it's either Belmont or nothing. I think that's what it comes down to, Jr. Getting to know Gary over the last, God, since I started working at the NHL for NHL Live back in 02, so... I've interviewed him a bunch of times, gotten to know Gary Bettman. Gary is a businessman, and he's a very, very good negotiator, regardless of how you feel about all the different CBAs during the length of his time as commissioner. But Gary wants to make this work, and he wants to make it work on the island, and he wants to make it work at Belmont. If you are negotiating, you want to make it seem like it's Belmont or bust. You don't want to start giving up a bunch of contingency plans because then that takes a little of the urgency away from it. So knowing Gary, I would think that he's just trying to make it about Belmont or Bus to make that happen. He probably wants that to be the place. It seems to make the most sense. It's right there on the border of Queens and Long Island. It's just down the street from the Coliseum. It's perfect for what the Islanders are trying to do. Gets them out of Brooklyn, gives them a brand-new building. It, it brings a little bit more life to Long Island now, which gives them a couple of different arenas between the Coliseum and the new place for the Islanders to get – um, some life back in the island as far as sports are concerned, right? Hofstra lost its football program. The Jets no longer train in Hofstra. The Islanders being gone now, um, it just seems like it's just a perfect fit to put it there. And I think that that's why he's putting all his eggs in one basket. Um, Chris says, hey, Don, is it just me or is the goal horn honestly the most annoying thing about hockey games? How did that start? It's much rather hear the roar of the crowd or over a horn, top five for him. He's got it at, let's see, uh, from five to one, Islanders five, Toronto four, Columbus three, St. Louis two, and Tampa one. So we differ there. The Islanders are banging on the door, by the way, as being a team that definitely can crack uh, the top five. I mean, if I had to guess the goal horn is just because they want to alert people in the arena that a goal was scored. I mean, going back in the day when the sight lines aren't, weren't all that great, that sometimes you just didn't know, and it just kind of alerts everybody, stop play, goal's been scored. And I tell you, in some of these buildings, like last night, if you were going to go by the roar of the crowd, you wouldn't know who scored the goal. It was like 50-50 between Toronto and Edmonton. I never I never thought the goal horn was, was uh, annoying, to be honest with you. Uh, NYR Fanatic says, hey, Don, as always, love the show. The Canadians appear to have turned their season around. What would you say is the biggest reason, and the biggest reason to me has been price? Plus, uh, Gallagher has gotten nuts here. Uh, Druin, with the exception of last night when he was out, um, has been a help. Um, But really, I think that team is just built around getting better goaltending from price. And as much as we criticize their overall uh, roster, which I just don't think is playoff worthy, I still don't believe it is, the heart and soul of that team is Price, and he did not play well early on, and he was as a major a culprit as anybody why the Canadians were struggling, and then he was trying to play hurt. Now he seems to be healthy, and no coincidence that they've rattled off four straight games. Joey says, if he goes to free agency, where do you think Eric Carlson will end up? Well, it's kind of a loaded question because really it just comes down to who would have the cap space to fit him in. He'll probably go down 
as the highest paid defenseman by the time he hits free agency. So back in the day, I'd say he'd go to the Rangers. He would go to the Detroit Red Wings. He would go to the teams that have a lot of money. But in the cap space era, it's all about who has the space to give it to him. There are teams that have cap space. Toronto has cap space because they're going to try to get uh, Jonathan Tavares. Uh, they've freed it up trying to get Stamkos before Stamkos return uh, to Tampa. If the Islanders were to lose uh, Tavares, they may have the cap space. Uh, I'm not sure where he wants to play per se, but it comes down to who has the room under the cap to bring in a guy that is probably going to be a max player once he hits free agency. Uh, James says, hey, Don, which teams do you think is built for the long haul? Well, built for the long haul, Toronto hops to mind. Devils with a lot of good young players. Uh, They seem to be built for the long haul. Good young players in Arizona. We'll see if those guys mature into being something. I don't think there's a lot of older players right now with Columbus, but those are some of the teams that kind of pop to mind here. I would have said Edmonton, but things aren't really working for them right now. Uh, Ottawa's getting a little bit older now, so you wonder if they are are, are built for the long term. Um, It looks like there's a lot of work still to be done in Buffalo. looks like Kane may get traded away, but Ritzelainen is still very young. Eichel is still very young, but it hasn't really seemed to click there at all. Um, Honestly, when I look at Tampa, I don't see that team going away. I mean, they don't have anybody with a a lot of years on them. Stamkos is still very young. Uh, Kucherov is still very young. Hebben is not long in the tooth by any stretch of the imagination. Vasilevsky is a younger goaltender. So those are some of the teams that kind of pop into my head. Uh, Let's see. Sean says, love the show. New York Islanders leading NHL and scoring behind top two lines. Do they have the best top two line combos in the Metro? Ooh, let's go through it. Yeah, I, I would have to say that is it is because you you go beyond the uh, Backstrom line in Washington. There's questions, obviously, with the Rangers. I like their two lines, but now um, is it is it as good as the Islanders? No, I don't think so. Devils, no. Uh, just going down like Carolina, no. They're kind of top heavy with that Taravine and top line with uh, with with Stoll and Aho. That's good, but. Do they have any depth beyond that? Uh, just going through the division, going through the division. I, I think you're right. And and Eberle, who got off to a slow start, has been terrific. JT's one of the top five players in the league. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it that that certainly is the conversation, if not for a guarantee. David says, how long will Zibanejad be out for? Will this change how the Rangers trade? Will they start to rebuild? I don't know. Again, concussions are very strange, okay? You go, some guys just have problems their entire careers. Some guys come back right away. Um, the Rangers are not going to rebuild, okay? If they were, if you were to tell me that Zibanejad is out for the year, that would be a devastating blow. But when you have Henrik Lundqvist and you have Nash, Kreider's having a good season. You saw the way David Darnay played on that top line. I don't think that they would blow it up. No, I don't think they would do that. Andy Julian says, Don, love the show. Thoughts on the Devils-Ducks trade? Feels like a deal that helped both teams. We outlined it, of course, yesterday. Definitely helps both teams. The Ducks were in dire need of a forward wall. The injuries they have, and the Devils look like they feel that they're for real, and that gives them a top four defenseman who's under control until 1920. Less than a $5 million cap hit really does Makes sense for both teams. Five-minute major says Mount Rushmore of hockey flicks. Slapshot 2 is an abomination, in my opinion. Yugblood and Strange Brew are two of my favorites, along with Slapshot and Miracle. They're similar. We're similar in age, and I didn't get into 
the Mighty Ducks either. So I didn't get into it because I just never saw it, and now I'm just a stubborn SOB that doesn't want to see it. Uh, Jake says, Hi, Don. Vegas has used five goaltenders this season and are second in the Pacific Division. What does this tell you about this team and the way that they played while battling these issues? It's amazing. They did get Malcolm Subban back, so at least that's part of their plan at the beginning of the season. He was supposed to back up Flurry. Uh, now is the number one. They're hoping to get Flurry back. But it, it, what it tells me is how well-built this team is with George McPhee and and Gerard Gallant as the head coach. Uh, that's where it begins and ends with me. I've been saying that and throwing bouquets at those guys since the beginning of the season. I think they've done everything right, and I think it really does begin with those two guys. Uh, Forrest Novak says, outside of Crosby and Ovechkin, in your opinion, who is the best player in the game? Stamkos, Tavares. Wow. Uh, you've got Kane that has to be in that conversation. Kucherov has to be in that conversation for the sheer amount of goals that he's scored. I, I would also, even though he hasn't played well lately, Carlson on the blue line, Burns on the blue line, guys that have to be also considered... Stamkos is up there, though. He he really is. If he can maintain his health, <clears throat> and that's been his Achilles heel here, really, is that he's he's been a little bit injury prone. So as far as compiling the numbers that Crosby and Ovechkin have been able to do, it's kind of hurt him in that category. But you've got a lot of good young players in this lead. Is it too early to say um, uh, McDavid? Is it too early to say Matthews? I mean, these are really, really good players. So, I mean, the league is... The league has to be thrilled, really. When you talk about how sports has become so star-driven, I think that's why the NBA is so popular, where you're able to sell Curry, you're able to sell LeBron James, you're able to sell all of these really good players. The NHL really can do that. You've got a lot of good young players, and they're young. I mean, even Crosby still, he's 30 years old, but it's not like he can't play for another 10 years, right? And Stamkos is still young. Somebody had asked me the questions of, you know, the best players under 25. A lot of players are really popping at 25. you got Saad. you got Panarin in, uh, in Columbus, who's, again, off to a slow start, but I think can be a really good player. Cam Atkinson just got a huge contract extension with the Columbus Blue Jackets because they believe he's their future star to sell a sport in a non-hockey market. So Gary Bettman and the powers that be in the NHL have to be thrilled that it's not just Matthews and McDavid, that there's so many good young players out there to really market and sell this sport, that if the sport is really driven by the best there is in the game, that's certainly going to help. Alex James Wilson says, just watching the Oilers-Leafs game and thought, have you ever seen such a quality plethora of young players like this in any other era in the NHL? Maybe because there are more teams now and more European players. But, you know, here's the thing. With more European players, but but still 31 teams to distribute the wealth, sometimes it's hard. See, in the original six era, that every game had a bunch of star players, right? So if the Montreal Canadiens were playing the Chicago Blackhawks, you had Maurice Richard, you had Boom Boom Jeffrey on, you had Doug Harvey, and then Chicago would be able to give you, give you a Hull and a Makita and, like, you know, uh, Makita a little bit later on. But, you know, you, you get my point is that when you had six teams – you always had stars pretty much on every team, or at least in four of the six teams. It's really hard to spread that out over 30, but there's two teams, young, talented players, Matthews, uh, Nylander, uh, Marner. Uh, then you go to McDavid and Nugent Hopkins and Dreisaitl. Yeah, I mean, that's fun. I mean, I don't know how the market league can market two Canadian teams, but you know what? I got a sense... 
I don't know if how NBC Sportsnet feels about it because that's a nine o'clock face-off, and and I guess they didn't feel like putting that on NBC Sportsnet or whatever. Maybe they're a little timid to put Toronto and Edmonton on national television, but I think they should give that a chance. You get these Wednesday night rivalry games next year when these two teams hook up in Toronto for a seven or seven thirty start. You know what? Make it an eight o'clock start. Put it on NBC Sportsnet on a Wednesday and sell and market the stars. I mean, that's what the NBA does, and Cleveland's not a huge market. Golden State might be a, a top ten market because it's attached to San Francisco, but nobody was talking about Golden State being a popular team before Steph Curry got there and and uh, Durant got there. So it's not really about the markets; it's about the stars. So when Cleveland plays Golden State, you know, throw them on because you want to see all those stars in one place. I want to see that in the NHL too. Forget out; oh, we're not going to get a great rating because it's evident in Toronto. No, you'll get a great rating, or at least a relatively great rating, or relative to the other sports. Because of the fact that I want to see McDavid play. I want to see Dreisaitl play. I want to see Matthews play. Um, that's what I think was going to sell the sport, not so much the market. You, you, you can put the Rangers and the Flyers and the Red Wings on all the time, Penguins, Capitals, because they have huge fan bases in, in, big, in big markets and hockey towns. But as far as selling the sport, what do you think people sit down and watch the NBA for? They watch it because they want to see the stars. I don't think they necessarily care. I mean, you saw Miami was the most popular team when LeBron James was there. Now people are buying Cleveland Cavalier hats. Like I said, <clears throat> Golden State for years, no offense to the Golden State Warriors or anybody that might be listening on the West Coast, but if you were like an average fan and you had to list the 30 teams in the NBA, the one team that you would always forget would be Golden State, right? Because you know, they didn't have that much of a history. They'd won one championship like 50 years ago or 40 years ago, they just weren't on your mind. Now, all of a sudden, they're one of the biggest teams because they got two of the biggest stars in the league. So the Edmonton Oilers might be Edmonton, and maybe most people in the United States couldn't pick Edmonton out of a map. But if I give them a hockey game that they're entertained by with two or three of the biggest stars in the sport, that's the way you can really sell it. Baseball's going through the same thing. Yankees, Dodgers, Red Sox, instead of really selling the best players in the sport. Uh, Neil says, just wanted to say a massive thank you for getting John on from the Caps. was a great listen. As an Aussie living in the U.K., I don't think you realize how helpful and important this podcast is for me and to get my hockey fix. Well, Neil, I appreciate that. And we try to we try to get uh, the stories in this podcast. Um, when I did NHL Live with E.J. Raddick, sometimes I kind of cringed when we would dedicate so much time to one team because the way I wanted to approach this podcast was the same way I wanted to approach that show. And that is I want to be able to give hockey fans hockey talk. And it's impossible to talk about all 31 teams simultaneously. So I try to give the stories and not just get bogged down on talking about the big teams like the Rangers and the Flyers and, and the Red Wings or out West, the Kings, I want to talk about everybody and give everybody their due. But sometimes when there is a story, and I really felt that there was an outcry from some of the people who listen to the podcast to get deeper into what's going on with the Washington Capitals, then I will branch out and go specific to a team. And then once we get to the playoffs and we narrow the field down, we'll be able to do that. Because I want everybody to be able to stay in- interested and engaged. And I, and I thought it was important to get John on. He's a good guy. He knows the team. And I think there were a lot of people that were interested uh, in the Washington Capitol story and what's going on here. So we'll try to do that a little bit more often. But I also want to make it about you guys and talk about the things that you want to engage yourself in. Ricky Cook says, uh, was hoping to see how many spots the Predators had moved up in the Don LaGreca top five tomorrow. But, dang, 
they faded fast tonight. Um, yeah, Ricky, I guess you sent that before, right after the game last night. I do not have Nashville in there, and that was a tough loss for them. A um, couple of things I wanted to say before we get out of Dodge. A um, lot of debate about the biggest goal in Devils history. Got into it with um, uh, with a few people on the Internet uh, because of the Adam Henrique trade. Like, What place does his goal against the Rangers in Game 6 of the 2012 Conference Final stay in rain, in devil's lore and i just i thought and we even brought it up yesterday kind of going over you know the big goals and to me a goal that was left out because we talk about the john mcclain goal that got them in the playoffs for the first time in franchise history the jason arnott goal in game six against dallas that won them a stanley cup the patrick Eliash goal towards the end of regulation in game seven against philadelphia in 2000 gets talked about. The Henry goal certainly gets discussed. The Claude Lemieux goal that finished off the Philadelphia Flyers in 1995. But a forgotten one, and I'm not saying it's above the Henrique, and I'm not saying that it's exactly where in the top five that it, it should be, but I do believe it should be in the top five, and I think it's gotten for, uh, forgotten here, uh, was the Jeff Friesen goal in Game 7 against the Ottawa Senators in 2003. It came with under two and a half minutes left to play in a 2-2 tie, and it won the game, finished off the Ottawa Senators, and set the Devils up for the championship against the Ducks. The only reason Henrique would be ahead of it is because Henrique did it against the Rangers, and that's the rival. But the Devils still lost to the Kings. So I still have the freezing goal as significant because that win over Ottawa propelled them to their third and last, by the way, Stanley Cup championship. So... It's interesting to see the perspective of many Devil fans and how hurt they were that Adam Henrique was dealt away because of that significant goal. But the reason I think it is so significant, because, again, I can come up with the ones that technically seem to be bigger, but to me, you won a championship off that goal. Yes, you slayed the Dragon and the New York Rangers, but you ended up losing in six games. So, interesting perspective to kind of go over. But uh, it was an interesting conversation yesterday for sure. And um, that is still a very good trade for the New Jersey Devils and for the Anaheim Ducks. And both teams will be in action tonight, and we'll see how their respective trades work almost immediately as the Ducks are in action with Henrique and the Devils will be in action in Colorado with Fontenin. And ultimately, the team that wins the most, more so than how many points Henrique has or how many points Fontenin has or um, Blandisi, what he ends up becoming in Anaheim or what these picks end up becoming, it is really going to come down to who ends up performing the best. And if the Devils can get into the playoffs for the first time in five years and make a run and the Ducks miss the playoffs, then it'll look like the Devils won and vice versa. So only time will tell. It won't be tonight that will tell who won the deal, but certainly it will be round one of the debate. All right, this is a fun week. Thanks so much for participating. So much to go over. Next week, of course, we'll have a weekend to recap. We'll have E.J. Raddick with his monthly, uh, his Monday spot. We'll see what he thought about the trade and anything else that's coming down. Hey, it's December. It's hard to believe now. We've, we're two months into this season. Most teams have played around 25 games, so we're way past the quarter pole. Uh, a month from now, we're going to be into the 2018 portion of the season, so it's getting late early here in the National Hockey League, and we're deep into the season, and we're having a lot of fun. Pretty much everybody is still very much alive in this thing, so thank you for participating. Thank you for joining us, and if you want to reach me during the weekend, at Don LaGreca, hashtag Game Misconduct. This was the Friday edition of Game Misconduct. 
Thanks for listening to the Game Misconduct Podcast. Looking for more Don LaGreca? Hear him on the Michael K. Show weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. on 98.7 ESPN in New York and worldwide on the ESPN app. And don't forget to subscribe to the Game Misconduct Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.